The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to the most nutritious hour of business talk all week. This is Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. Your host and moderator is Bonnie D. Graham. You'll hear from the innovators who have learned to use game-changing technologies to shake up the status quo and help move today's businesses in new directions. Now, here's Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome, welcome, welcome. And if you want to run with the Game Changers and have a great cup of coffee, I promise you're absolutely in the right place. Today's buzz, honk if you love, wait for it, wait for it, if you love connected cars. Fooled you there, didn't I? Let me get started. The future is definitely connected and it's already here. Consumers like you and me all over the world, especially millennials, I know that M word keeps popping up, especially millennials who are living an always connected lifestyle. We expect continuous access to personalized information and services from content and service providers we choose guess what even while we're driving that means sitting in a car driving a car yes we want our information to come with us wherever we go however we're going but We don't want to be restricted by the VIN number of the vehicle we're driving or the one we're sitting in. You know, you're sitting in the backseat of Bob's car and it's Bob's VIN number that's connected. What's going on with this? You want your information. So let's talk about the ideal mobile digital identity. How do we define that? How do millennials define that? How does anybody define it? What information do we really want while we're on the road? I think we know some obvious basics like directions and maybe hands-free phone connections, but beyond that, there's probably a lot more. And perhaps the bottom line question of all is, how much are we and they willing to pay for it? It really always comes down to the bottom line. I have a breaking news item before I introduce my panel. We just heard, courtesy of Stephanie R. Thomas, who's tweeting at underscore Steph, S-T-E-P-H, Thomas from SAP, that two professional hackers just wirelessly hacked into a Jeep while it was on the road through a vulnerability in FCA's Uconnect infotainment system. Guess what? They were sitting in a house 10 miles away. They turned on the radio. They turned on the wipers and launched the wiper fluid, and they cut the acceleration so much that the 2014 Jeep Cherokee on a St. Louis highway was forced into a ditch. We'll talk about that more later. So I should say video at 11, but we're radio, so nobody cares. I'm delighted to welcome a panel from a recent episode of our Future of Business with Game Changers radio just last month, June 2015. We're welcoming back Joe Barkai, an industry analyst, John Ellis, former Ford Global Technologist, and Larry Stoley at SAP. So let me get started and introduce our experts formally. Joe Barkai, industry analyst, sent me the following quote, one, two, three, four, five, six little words that pack a punch. Joe says, Driving is distracting me from texting. Oh, no, Joe, please. Welcome, Joe. How are you? Hi, Bonnie. Thank you. I'm well and good to be here again. Glad to be. Now, wait a minute. You're not driving and talking on the phone with us on the radio show and texting at the same time, are you? Please, please tell me, Joe. Never, never, never do. Never. 
Good. I'm glad you're safe and sound. Tell me about this quote. It's very provocative. I'm worried about you. Talk to me. Yes, uh, perhaps it is. And then, Bonnie, you already kind of set up the stage in a way. Uh, I don't know if the audience knows that, but this year is the first time that the millennial generation will or already has surpassed, surpassed the baby boomer generation. We have about six, 76 and a half million millennials, uh, a million more than, than baby boomers. So mm. why is this important? I, I think it's important because the millennials are signaling kind of a strong shift in attitude towards car ownership, towards driving in general. They, they tend to see cars more as a means to get from point A to point B. And in a way, they would much rather be using the time uh, the transit time to do other stuff, you know, texting there perhaps. They really mm-hmm. don't want as much to own cars or to drive cars. But, but it's really not only millennials. As you said, we're all connected. We're all living this ongoing um, nonstop digital continuity uh, and connectivity space. But I think that the OEMs, the car makers, have done a very poor job recognizing the importance of this mobile-centric lifestyle. Their view, and, and you said that, Bonnie, uh, they really think about the car as being the center of the universe. But that really means, from a consumer point of view, a very kind of uh, nonsensical model. It means that I need to pay for services I don't want. It means I pay for services I already have on my smartphone and probably getting better service, uh, up-to-date information, um, uh, and, and better user interfaces for my smartphone. And, in fact, I'm already paying for my smartphone or for the data services and for the bandwidth. Mm-hmm. Why do I want to pay again for the, um, for the carrier of choice just because they have um, a relationship with the OEMs? So I really want to kind of stress the notion of the consumer mobile digital identity, the one that allows me to take my content, my services, my identity uh, throughout my, uh, my experience. Um, and then this identity is expressed through my phone, uh, maybe through my login ID, but not through my car's vehicle. So I think that in the future, the connected car models must be better aligned with how consumers want to consume and produce information. Thank you, Joe. Uh, a quick question before I bring on John Ellis. Uh, Joe, the connectivity we're experiencing, the connectivity we want, that we, some of us, crave while we're on the road, whether in the driver's seat or the passenger seat, it really is an afterthought. Cars were never originally built for connectivity. They were built for, as you said, going from place A to place B. So is this a massive catch-up effort, a catch-up and regulatory and doing the right thing and figuring out the payment model and the delivery model? Is this an OMG for the OEMs and the manufacturers? Uh, Well, it's even more complex than that, perhaps, because connected cars, not using this term, have been around Mm -hmm. for many, many years, especially since we introduced in vehicle electronics, which, interestingly enough, come from very different uh, set of motivations, re- primarily mm-hmm. um, emissions. So, in fact, few people know that, uh, outside of the industry, that is, that the car electronics and, and all the control systems actually regulated by the EPA, not even by the Department of Transportation. Um, so connected cars, what we used to call telematics, have been around for, I don't know, maybe 10, 15 years now. But I think that the oh my gee kind of moment for OEMs is really mm-hmm. saying, how do I monetize this investment? And I cannot really own that connectivity and I cannot own that experience. And in my opinion, OEMs that continue to focus on their cars as being the center of the universe, OEMs that focus on connectivity as in wireless connectivity, and by the way, with them, the wireless carriers, 
in my opinion, and I've been writing about this for a couple of years now, they will be losing the business because, as we said, we can get much better up-to-date, cost-effective, user-friendly experience through my phone, my smartphone. Thank you, Joe. Thank you for indulging my question. I appreciate the history lesson. Very good to know. And let me bring on your co-panelist, John Ellis. He's a former Ford global technologist. And I have another very brief, to-the-point, concise quote. And I can't wait to hear what this one means. John says, never disrespectful, always irreverent. Are you talking about me, John Ellis? (laughs) Good morning, Bonnie. I am so glad that I'm actually able to be on the call with you this morning, so thank you very we much. We are, too. You had a little bit of in and out with an airline, I understand. You yeah, you, yeah, uh, yeah. you were like, either take off or let me off this plane. I exactly. have to do a radio show. It's, well, exactly, we're... it's exactly what I said. It's exactly what I said. <laughs> I had to have coffee with my favorite woman, Bonnie Graham. And that's oh, my... oh, and they said, oh, let's go, Mr. Ellis. Let's hear you go. <laughs> John, I, 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 you just completely unraveled me with that statement. <laughs> Thank you so much. You're too kind. I blush. Everybody can hear me blushing over the radio. So let's continue. Never yeah. disrespectful. Well, you certainly are disrespectful to me. Always irreverent. Is mm. this an, a John Ellis original? I looked it up, and I saw that you've used it in several conferences. So where does this come yeah. from, and how does it relate to our topic? Uh, it's it's mine. It's an original. I, I, I apologize. I didn't give you the the uh, the citation. Uh, it's mine. Um, came up with it actually while while spending my time at Ford, and it uh, it it derives from the sort of. Um, the crashing of these multiple different worlds, as Joe was talking about the different stakeholders. The automotive industry has been very insular for so many years, and there's a very there's a there's an automotive way to doing things. And so, you know, I come in from the outside, and many like me, and we start asking why. And so, in other industries, there's this you know ask ask why five times, and then you'll get the real reason. Well, I was I was getting called out like, dude, that's very disrespectful. Like, this is the automotive industry. We know what we're doing. I'm like, I'm not trying to be disrespectful, but I am going to be irreverent. I'm not going to respect that, which is, you know, we need to shake things up. So it, can't, it comes from that. It reminds me also to be careful in how I do it because, you know, it, it, there's a fine line between disrespect and irreverence. And uh, as long as you stay on the line of irreverence, no one can really call you out for being a bad guy. Oh, well, that's a lesson in etiquette. Et- etiquette. That's a life lesson. My goodness. <laughs> now, let's focus this on our digital mobile identity or mobile digital identity. Uh, what's your point of view? We heard interesting information from Joe. We got a little history lesson on, on how right. long cars have really been connected. What are your thoughts on this, on the millennials? That anybody sitting in a car, should we pay twice for the same information we get as, I'll use the old word, land lovers, the boating term, when we're not in a car moving? Somewhere. So, what are your thoughts on that, John? Um, sure. Um, so, so, following up on Joe and, and sort of trying to add color to that, right, I, I might suggest that um, the cars, in fact, the OEMs built connected cars back when they built the first car. They were connecting disparate points, point A to point B, and they were giving you, the driver or the customer, the opportunity to choose how you got from point A to point B using their product. What they failed to do is keep up with the rest of the world as it evolved connectivity in these points in time to infinitely. I, I now am infinitely connected, and I can be at any point at any time. I can look down. I, I'm now continuously connected. And so the cars aren't, and that's, I think, where the disconnect is, and that's where I think we're seeing the OMG moments that we're, we're starting mm-hmm. to uncover from the different ones. But what, what, when, what, what's happening because of that is um, – as I, as I was explaining to some of the executives in, in a number of different companies, right, people in the auto industry look at the phone and they say, well, that's a $400 phone, and I don't want someone making a you know, choice on my $40,000 vehicle on a $400 phone. So mm-hmm. they look at it as a phone. 
and where Joe and I, and I think you know, Larry will come into and on this, is, is from the fact that the phone is a physical manifestation of a digital life services identity choice that you've made. You've assigned yourself to be in the Google ecosystem or the Apple ecosystem or a Microsoft ecosystem or an Alibaba or a Baidu or a Tencent or a Weibo or whatever number of ecosystems. Um, and your identity is very much associated with that. And I, I, you know, certainly the identity of like who Joe Barkai is or who John Ellis is, but more importantly, the meta-identity, the things you've done, where you've been, your history, who you are, the type of person you are, your purchase, everything about you resides now and physically is manifested through the phone. But, it, but what it is really is a digital life identity. Lots of people are writing about it. And what's happening is the car guys, now recognizing that they have to catch up and provide constant and continuous connectivity, are now faced with challenges on how to do that. Can they create their own ecosystem? Do they have to allow these other mobile ecosystems into the vehicle? If they do, what happens? So it's a, it's a pretty rich and interesting time right now, both for the OEMs and all the digital life ecosystems that are around there. Thank you, John. I want to make sure I'm quoting you right here. I've been taking notes. You say your cell phone is a physical manifestation of a digital lifestyle ecosystem choice you have made. Did I get that right? Yep. Mm -hmm. Oh, thank you very much. Tweetable moment. I appreciate it. (laughs) And let's bring on Larry, who was referenced just now by John Ellis, Larry Stoley at SAP. And this is a quote from a colleague of Larry, circa 1980. I'm sure that is germane to the conversation. Here's the quote. I can do without more than I can put up with. I tried to, uh, to accentuate the positive on that one. Like, go ahead, Larry, talk to yeah, us. Yeah, so, so this, this quote was, was very timely for me. I can do without more than I can put up with. And it seems to me to be very appropriate for connected car. You know, years ago in the automotive industry, we made a fun, or attempted to make a fundamental translation from being VIN-centric, vehicle identification number-centric, to customer-centric, the point being that in, in the old days, a VIN had an owner, a vehicle had an owner. But today, owners have many vehicles. So mm-hmm. there was an attempt made to, to move towards that, that paradigm. But going back to I can do without more than I can put up with, I think with a digital, digitally connected vehicle, all the services, all of the things that we do with a connected car get to be a bit of a problem. Now, millennials aside... Why do I want to do all the things with a car that I do with a cell phone? I just don't need it. And fundamentally, I don't want to pay for it either. But that also brings up the the corollary to the question. It might be able to be said in the future, I hope, that I can put up with more than I can do without. And until the automotive industry, until the connected vehicle makes that fundamental value statement that I can't afford to be without it, I don't want to be without it, I think we're going to have to struggle through and understand that there's a tremendous amount of frustration, there's a tremendous amount of uh, not knowing what's the best way, what's the right way, and so on, to preserve and to utilize my digital identity and to keep my uh, pocketbook secure. Thank you so very much, kind of Larry. Where I'm coming from. Yeah, Larry, uh, uh, thank you for calling back. You are amazingly clear and sharp right now, and we're uh, Joe dropped apparently. He was on a we just having a uh, funky lines here. John, you're the winner on the clear phone line today, <laughs> and you weren't even sure you were going to be on the show. Uh, Larry, let me ask you while we're waiting for Joe to call back. I'm just going to do a little round robin here with Larry and, and John. I guess I'm curly today. What can I tell you? I'm trying to say that, uh, and I am okay. No, Joe, he will call back. Uh, Larry. 
when you're in the car, what do you expect? Are you using MapQuest? Are you using a, big, a built-in digital dashboard uh, map finder? Are you expecting a whole? You have a whole directory of phone phone numbers already plugged in and already dialed in, so that people can call you and you can adhere to the here in New York hands-free regulations and not get a ticket for picking up that damn thing we call a cell phone. Uh, Larry, what are your needs? Your personal needs in the car for connectivity. Well, in, interestingly enough, I'm a technology guy, so you're going to find this rather amazing. For me, there are two things I need in a connected car. Everything I have on the dashboard, I mean, all the gauges, all the more, I don't need to be told anything. I can read those things. But there are two things that I need on the, in, in the connected car. I need navigation. I use that quite often. The other fo- thing I need is Bluetooth connectivity to my cell phone. Not a cell phone in the vehicle, but Bluetooth to my personal identity on my smartphone. Those are the only two things that I really use in terms of connectivity. Now, I have access to all the other things. Do I really use them? No. I, I don't even listen to the radio very much except at Christmas time once in a while. <laughs> so, you know, to me, I need to drive the car. I'm more into operating the vehicle. I love to hear the wheels turn. So I'm a bit of an anomaly, I think, in, in terms of comparison to millennials, but uh, that's me. Can I ask I what kind of many, car many you... many, people, people yep. are, are similar. Uh, Larry, what kind of a car do you drive, may I ask? Sure, I drive a 2014 GMC pickup. Okay, and you like to hear the wheels turn. I drive a little. Uh, I drive a little pipsqueak sports car, and I love to hear the wheels turn and and hear the road underneath me. And people get in my car and they say, "When are you going to grow up and get a real car?" And I tell them, "Mind your own business." I love a sports car. John Ellis, let's turn this over to you. What do you like to have in terms of connectivity in your car, John? And what kind of wheels are under John Ellis when he's on land? Uh, I own a 2011 Toyota Camry XLE, um, and the connectivity um, is, is it's a number of different things. Um, it all drives from my device, um, and it's certainly maps and point of interest stuff as, again, why I'm in the car. Um, I'm, I'm part of that 99% of Americans that no longer just drive for driving sake. I mean... When I get in the car, I'm going. I'm going somewhere, so I have a. I have an intent. So I like POI information, um, maps, routes, traffic, um, and then mm-hmm. content that I bring. So um, I'm a big TED NPR Radio Hour guy, and I like to have it downloaded, and and then I bring it into the car and listen to it while I'm driving along. Um, sometimes I do broadcast stuff, but yeah, when I'm the driver, that's what I like. When I'm the passenger, yeah, then it's any number of things, right? Lots of reading, maybe listening. Mm. Thank you very much, John. We have a personality profile so far from Larry Stoley and John Ellis. Joe Barkai has joined us again. Joe, we're delighted you're back. And Joe, sorry for whatever was going on with the phone line, but I hope it's clear and you can hear me. Joe, say hello. Yes, uh, sorry about that. I was actually able to hear you twice over, again and again, but was oh, not able to my, get a word in. But my back goodness. And hopefully, hopefully the quality <laughs> of the line is better. Oh, it's fantastic. Now, I, we're just going around the table, and before we get to what are you drinking today, I want to know if you're willing to share with us what kind of a vehicle you drive or what you would like to be driving and what your needs are for digital connectivity when you're driving either as a passenger and or as a driver. Joe, talk to us. Yeah. In, in fact, despite my kind of strong opinion about where the digital identity model should go, I am a very modest user of that. 
Um, I listen primarily. I, I drive very little because I work mostly from home, or then I fly places. And maybe mm-hmm. this, this does connect to the digital identity because, for example, I have Sirius XM in my car, and I'm upset why can I not use it when I rent a car, unless the car happened to have that, but I already paid yeah. for it. Or my wife's mm-hmm. car does not have Sirius XM. Oh, I'm sorry, she has it, but I cannot use my subscription, as it were, because it's attached to the VIN, not to the vehicle. Other than that, I, I listen to NPR most of the time, um, and I, the most extensive use, I think, of up-to-date information uh, is GPS. And, and here again, I'm, I'm not a happy consumer. I just recently tried to update the maps, and besides the fact it took forever, it's mm-hmm. really not as up-to-date as what I can get on my smartphone. Hence, again, my, <laughs> my strong opinion about the lack of digital recognition or, or appreciation of the digital um, uh, identity. Thank you very much. You want to share with us what kind of car you drive or what you're thinking about driving? Your next car? Yes, it's, it's a Passat. Okay, very good, very good. And guess what, Joe? We're going to toss it back to you. We're staying with Joe Barkai because now, now we're ready for what's in your cup today because this is Coffee Break with Game Changers Radio presented by SAP, but you all knew that already. So, Joe Barkai, where are you calling from? What's in your cup or what are you dreaming about drinking? Now you're up. Go ahead, Joe. Right. So, so as you know, this time of in the morning, I'm already past my coffee and I just have water. But um, I'm, I'm kind of assuming the unofficial role of being the one provide international perspective on coffee stories. Uh, I think that in the past we covered Vietnam, we covered Israel, we covered the 17th century Vienna. So <laughs> next week I'm going to be in Iceland, uh, and I don't know how many people know that. Iceland does have a very strong culture of coffee drinking, and it goes all the way back to 1703, which was the first time that coffee was brought into Iceland. As you notice, Icelandic people are very good in documenting their history. Um, and then it, it does have coffee that is, has a very strong um, role in hospitality and social gathering, um, especially when they used to kind of treat the clergy for coffee. So they have an expression, uh, 10 drops, which really is a way, it's a polite way to respect the host for, you know, um, inviting you for coffee without actually overdosing on coffee at the end of the day. Um, but, you know, when we started the conversation earlier, we talked about Drinking, so I brought a, a recipe for something called pr- the priest's coffee. So, are you ready to take it down? Yeah, sure. Go ahead. Yeah. Okay. So, so the the recipe is as follows: You place a large coin in the bottom of the glass. You pour coffee until you can no longer see the the coin in the glass, and then pour spirit of your choice. Ideally, it's a moonshine type spirit until <laughs> the coin appears again, and then you're ready to consume some priest's coffee. <laughs> And how do you spell this this type of coffee? Priest, priest, as in priest. clergy. Priest, priest coffee. Well, that's got to be a new one. Uh, yeah, in probably over five hundred shows, I have never had a recipe for priest coffee. Joe, I'd, I, next time you're on the show, I'd like you to bring me. Don't be offended by this. I'd like you to bring me a recipe for rabbi coffee. Okay. <laughs> fair enough. We, we got to play. We we got to play. Uh, we got to play fair here. Very interesting. I've got it down here until the coin reappears. Okay. No pressure, John Ellis. But we'd love to know what you're drinking or what are you dreaming about drinking. Uh, it's it's a dream. I'm I'm situated in the American Airlines Admirals Club, and uh, I have yet to have my coffee since I did an overnight red eye and. Uh, you know, issues. So I am on my way to uh, getting a nice extra large cream and sugar Dunkin' Donuts, my go-to oh. state favorite. All right. 
Man of basic taste there. Thank you very much, and I hope your flight takes off eventually and you get your coffee. Larry Stoley, where are you, and what are you thinking about drinking? I'm in my home office, uh, feet up on the desk, so I'm very comfortable. <laughs> I, I'm a traditionalist with coffee. I, I learned to drink, or actually I was taught to drink it black when I first started drinking coffee, and I think to drink it otherwise is a bit disrespectful, although I will uh, admit that uh, Joe's uh, formula sounds very good. The other thing that that drives me to drink coffee black is everything else has calories, and black coffee does not, so that makes me happy. I'm glad you're happy. I'm happy, too. (laughs) As you know, they only let me drink water on radio show days, but I have a green straw in my water today, so we got to get that issue of money and what are we paying for and why are we paying twice or three times for the same digital services we enjoy in our landlubber lives, what happens when we go on the road. Talking today with Joe Barkai, an automotive industry analyst, John Ellis, former Ford Global Technologist, stranded in an airline lounge wishing for his coffee. And Larry Stoley at SAP. I'm Bonnie D. Graham, and you are listening to Coffee Break with Game Changers. Our topic today, if you can't figure it out between the raindrops, is the connected car take three, your mobile digital identity. We're going to take a 90-second break and come back, and we're just going to zoom right on through the roundtable with Joe and John and Larry. So don't even think of touching that mouse, that app, that dial. Brad, finally, out. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. The time for enterprise mobility is now, according to IDC. By 2013, over 1.19 billion workers worldwide will be using mobile technology, comprising 34.9% of the workforce. The impact of mobility on business is clear. Increasing numbers of business users are expected to handle critical tasks and decision-making in real time, no matter where they are. SAP and Sybase and SAP Company offer mobile applications and underlying infrastructure with integration to SAP systems for secure access to business processes anytime anywhere and on any device www.sap.com when it comes to business you'll find the experts here voice america business network you're enjoying coffee break with game changers presented by sap you can send an email to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com And you're invited to tweet your questions and comments during and after the show at Twitter, hashtag S-A-P-R-A-D-I-O. Now, let's get back to Coffee Break with Game Changers. Here we are, and it turns out we have a tea drinker on board today. She is Stephanie Thomas, who's tweeting at underscore Steph, S-T-E-P-H, Thomas. And she says, I am drinking Climbers High Loose Leaf Tea from At Tea Spot. Listen in now. She's listening to the show. She's tweeting words of wisdom from Larry, John, and Joe. Very appreciated. And, Stephanie, take a tea break very quickly, but don't go too far away because we want you to capture our panelists' words of wisdom. So we're ready for the roundtable. We've already covered an awful lot of information here. We're talking about honk if you love connected cars. I'm listening. I don't hear anybody outside honking. Joe, is there anybody outside your office honking wherever you are? Uh, No, people people here are very polite. 
Very polite. Well, I don't know. And certainly John's not going to hear it because he's in an airport lounge. And so I don't know. Uh, Larry, you're in your home office. Is anybody honking? I want to know if they're listening live to where you are. Larry? <laughs> no, I don't hear anything. Well, we're just going to have to get up. I'm quiet. We're going to have to ask Brad at the radio station if he has any sound effects. We need the sound of horns honking, Brad. Not air horns, just car horns, and we'll, we'll talk about that. I have a great idea for an invention I'm going to talk to all of you about having to do with car horns, but that's for a private conversation. Okay, Joe Barkai, we're going to kick off the, uh, yes, he says, not ready, but yes, I can. If you find that car horn, Brad, you're welcome to put it on during the rest of the show. Joe, we've already covered an awful lot of information about mobile digital identity, about OEMs about we want our content and services from providers of choice, but we don't want to pay for it a second, third, fourth time. So let's talk about uh, what we'll loosely call the kings of mobile digital identity. Let's watch, launch into this, and I know this is a topic near and dear to John Ellis as well. So Joe Barkai, let's kick this roundtable off, and then we'll go around the table, please. Absolutely. So if we think about who really is, as you said, the king, who, who are the kings of of, of um digital presence and mobile digital presence, I think that names that come to mind are Google and Apple and Facebook and so on. And these companies are really all very, very focused on providing a nonstop digital presence, nonstop opportunity to consume and in some areas, in some instances, to produce information that can be shared. And this really ties very strongly to the millennials we discussed earlier and as part of this sharing economy and sharing economy as far as uh, opinions, sharing um, and, and um, sharing available resources such as sharing car, sharing transportation, and so on. So I, I think it's an interesting topic to or question to raise, and, and let's have us debate, is what is the rule, role of Apple and Google in developing cars? What about Google Autonomous Car? Not so much in terms of the technology, also we can talk about this as well, but will Google ever build an autonomous car? Is this in their business, or is their business to really try to not lose the, the consumer. And in my opinion, the, the strong push that we see from primarily from, from Silicon Valley is the, the ability to never lose the consumer, never lose the consumer, whether she is a driver or, or a passenger, continue to be ever connected and not let the car disrupt this, this experience. Uh, one of the comments, and I really want, kind of want to open it up to, to conversation, is yes. that finally um, we get... Detroit, and as a metaphor for automakers, pay attention to what's happening outside. The, the industry has been so insular, as John said earlier, and it really felt that there's no need to pay attention to what's happening outside. And now I sense that there is a fairly strong um, concern on the part of um, OEMs as far as what is the potential impact, good and bad, of companies like Apple and Google and so on. And in my opinion, this is, in a way, more important in terms of long-term trends that, for example, uh, what is the role of Tesla in shaping the future of the industry. But let me pause here and see what John wants to add to this. Yeah. John, <laughs> join us. Yeah. So, um, you know, I, I ask the question a lot, will they build a car? I, you know what? I don't know uh, if they're going to. But uh, in, in recent presentations, and I know it's been quoted and, and, and whatnot, and I think we even may have spoken about it briefly, the reason why Google wants in, to Joe's point, they don't want to lose people off the ecosystem. The ecosystem generates a bucket load of money for them. Um, there's been lots of material printed in the last couple of weeks about how Google nuances searches and, and how radically those searches can be nuanced. And you know, the, there's a, you know, tools and utilities to express how much you as a user are 
to them, Google, in terms of your participation in the ecosystem. So <clears throat> Google, Apple, Alibaba, Baidu, I mean, Tencent, these, these are 100, 200, 400, 500, 700 million person strong ecosystems. Mm-hmm. They, that's why they want in the car. Why the car, at least in the U.S., right, we drive with intent from point A to point B. Less than 1% of the U.S. of the population do, you know, sort of what we'll call um, entertainment driving. Um, they, they drive with intent. 80% of most drives are singletons so that you're in the car. And if you're in the car and I have my digital identity associated with your phone and I know you're in a car, I know that you're a female or a male, I know your gender, I know your cultural background, I know your, where you're starting from, I know your destination, and I know all of your life, I can nuance your drive. And that has been shown to be very, very valuable to advertisers. They'll pay six, seven, eight, nine times the going bid price to jump into an auction so that they can search and generate sort of not ads, but nuanced drives. So if I can give you two routes and one route passes you by Starbucks and Starbucks willing to pay for it, I'm going to put the route that puts Starbucks there. And guess what? As Starbucks sees you coming, your app might pre-order the coffee. It's a small deviation. You go pick it up. It's a convenience factor. Bada bing, bada boom. Google's made money. Starbucks made money. And you kind of have enjoyed your ecosystem. So that's, that's where this is ultimately going from. Google, Apple, and others, they don't, they don't care about the car. They don't care about driving. They don't care about making a car because they, are, they care about cars. They care about it because they care about the ecosystem. Exactly. And, and therefore, I think that the competition should be not where the OEMs seeing the, uh, the competition. The OEMs still think about this ecosystem as we need to compete with Google as a car manufacturer. No, OEMs need to really understand the value that Google, again, is a metaphor, is a placeholder for all these other companies that John mentioned. What is the value that they offer consumers? And consumers are slowly moving from cars as a transportation modality uh, to Car is a necessary evil in a way. It's time I need to spend anyway. I'm a captive audience for advertisers and service providers. Uh, and then there's really a disconnect between how these companies uh, look at the market. Not, not to say that there are no, not some advantages or some um, side effects, positive side effects of, uh, to these efforts in terms of uh, vehicle technology and so on. But it's really about offering content and value at services, not about mobility anymore. And, and many OVMs are still not quite seeing that this way. Thank you. Larry Stoley, we got to get you in on this, having too much fun. Join us. Thoughts on what Joe and John are talking about, please. Well, you know, there, there are a couple of things that, that come up. You know, when, when you look at the whole connected car process, you look at who makes money, who, who enables, and so on and so forth. You know, John was absolutely right. Joe is absolutely right. But it, when, at the end of the day, it comes down to money. And, you know, one of the challenges that I think car companies have is that typically millennials will be entering the car business at the, at the lower end. And certainly technology is driven down and more and more technology is available at the lower end. So that pleases millennials. But the real profitability uh, of car companies is at the high end. And millennials don't have that buying power yet. So me as a, as a truck driver that drives a $50,000-plus-dollar U.S. truck, the profit comes from me. I don't need as much. So we have a conflict going on. The other thing that's interesting is, and, and John talked about this when we first started talking about identities, uh, as a driver, there, there's a conflict. Is it my smartphone identity? Is it my smartphone identity in any vehicle I drive, whether I rent, borrow, or whatever? 
mm-hmm. or is it uh, is there a conflict between my smart smartphone and what the uh, OEM wants to do? When you're a passenger in the car, think about this. I want I you know I have no uh, conflicts on my identity. And one of the interesting things that's going on is General Motors now has Wi-Fi in their cars. So all of a sudden, outside of the driver conflict of identity. All my passengers have a very easy, very smooth, very efficient way to their identity that is enabled by the vehicle. So I find that quite interesting. Thank you, Joe. John, any comments on what Larry just brought up? I couldn't agree more. I mean, it's it's it's. I think we're all agreeing, you know, viciously and very and completely. I think the challenge. Is going to ultimately come down to how how does the OEM picture themselves? Do they just build, mm-hmm. as I was using the term, carcasses that allow for other ecosystems to you know to to live in there? How do they how do they allow these ecosystems to to come into play? Because quite frankly and honestly, you know, I I like most people in the in the states at least use their car less than an hour a day. Yet yeah. the mm-hmm. digital manifestation that that thing that we call our ecosystem is twenty four seven. So, as Larry pointed out, the word conflict, there's a huge conflict here. And I'm not 100% sure how it's ultimately going to get resolved because, quite frankly and honestly, it's, it's a scary proposition for all involved, right? Because it's not just these two ecosystems, right? If you, if you know, all the OEMs are global players building global platforms. There's global ecosystems, right? Baidu's got 800 million people, Tencent, uh, Weibo, right? Those are the Chinese ones. It just, it's just it's a, big, it's a big thing. So I'm not really sure where this is ultimately going to end to. John, I have to bring up, I I just want to introduce something. John pointed out in his notes to me that the first three letters of the word carcass are car, C-A-R. John, (laughs) that was just too good to miss that. You knew that. Was that Joe talking? I'm sorry I interrupted you, Joe. Just had to get that out there. Were you word of files? Right. So so the the question for OEMs is how do do they get away from the business of building just carcasses and, and provide value? And I think that one possible approach for them is to really think about the car as being yet another conduit to reach this audience. In other words, OEMs should not be in the business of providing content and services. They should be the platform. They should be the conduit. And then all of a sudden, they they reverse the game and they say, well, we as OEMs provide you, content provider, service provider, with an opportunity to address our, um, our captive audience through the channel that we provide. Because... You know, we talk about the car versus the, the cell phone, but it's, it's, we are oversimplifying the conversation. There is still an issue around distraction and safety and so on. Yes. So the way the, 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 this thing will shape up is that eventually, I believe, what will happen is that you will be able to trans- – the standard and technology already exists. We need to just get to the point of, of having it implemented to transition your small screen to the large screen. But by doing so um, – change the user interface, change the workflow to make it safer. And then I think we're slowly going in this direction. And now OEMs all of a sudden have a way to control the, and somewhat influence the content being streamed by service and content providers. But the OEM themselves should remain the conduit and, and make money in the process, of course, as opposed to insisting on providing um, content. Again, you do not want to hear my, my experience updating uh, Audi maps and Volkswagen maps use the same <laughs> head units and the same software. You do not want to know about this experience. 
and I think we just did learn about it from the exasperation on your voice. Joe, I can't thank you enough because you just did a beautiful segue into a topic that is sitting right smack in the middle of Larry Stoley's notes, and that's the topic I was going to go to next. So excuse the segue here. I think it's a beautiful one. Larry says, where does safety play into the digital mobile identity question? Smartphone-like displays usually are not good for driving. They have a heads-down use and suggestions about looking away. I I think in the early days when car radios, I think we talked about this on part one of this topic way back a couple months ago on Future Business with Game Changers, uh, the first car radio was in a, what was it, a Chevy or a Ford in the 1940s or 1930s, but a radio was considered a distraction for the driver. How will people keep their eyes and their minds on the road if they're listening to a voice coming out of a box on the dashboard of the car or under the seat or wherever it was? So, Larry, I'd like you to take us into this a little more deeply into the topic that Joe just introduced, safety. Whose responsibility is it, and how do we separate, I want my digital content now with I need to be a safe driver and a safe passenger now. Larry? So for me, there's a fundamental problem. The the first problem is, and and I'll make this statement decisively, personal safety, safety in the vehicle is the driver's responsibility, period. They cannot place the blame on the vehicle manufacturer, on the purveyor of digital uh, content to the vehicle or anything else. But, you know, if you look around, just just walk outside and look around, you'll see people walking around all the time with their smartphone in their hand, their head down. They have no idea where they're going, but their feet are one foot in front of the other. They're going somewhere. That is the absolute worst thing that can possibly happen in driving or operating a vehicle. We have to stay away from that. We cannot allow drivers to be able to take their focus off what's their main intent, driving, intent, point A to point B, and focus on their email, focus on uh, the other things. There was a study done a number of years ago, uh, and the details of it escaped me, but something was very, very profound. And it, it was a study of distracted driving, and basically the outcome of the study was We should remove radios from cars because people are distracted and have accidents while tuning their radio. And this was way before the the current uh, conversation we're having on connected vehicles. It's probably 30 years ago. So on one thing I'm very clear about, the driver's responsible for the car. Second off is we need to absolutely figure out how to control or how to facilitate that focus on driving as opposed to that focus on the digital identity, if you will. So that, that to me, is, is the, the, the fundamental. I'm not sure what all the answers are because there are many sides. And there are also things coming at us, gangles. Thank you, Larry. Larry, you're dropping in and out a little bit. I just want to interject here. I'm looking up on a website called mentalfloss.com. Nothing to do with hygiene, I'm sure. It says, in 1930, laws were proposed in Massachusetts and St. Louis to ban radios while driving. According to automotive historian Michael Lamb, L-A-M-M, quote, opponents of car radios argued that they distracted drivers and caused accidents. The tuning them took a driver's attention away from the road, and music could lull a driver to sleep. Any comments from our panelists on that? <laughs> John? <laughs> um, you know, any, so, so 
there is a, a set of uh, understandings in the OEMs that they call time on task, and, and it, it, it reflects a understanding of your principal task is driving, and so any other task that you have to do in the vehicle, whether it's looking left and right for traffic, whether it's mm-hmm. trying to assess your speed against other speeds, and then the other things, right, eating, drinking, talking, anything that happens in the vehicle. Um, and so vehicle design is now, there's a science behind it trying to get to all time on task and understand what's happening such that you make the interfaces simpler so that as to allow that to happen. Um, obviously, as more and more safety goes into the vehicle and more and more, quote, unquote, steps to autonomy go into the vehicle, um, there's a conundrum here because, like, adaptive cruise control, for example. If you put adaptive cruise control on, you don't have to worry anymore about the cars in front of you. You just literally stay in the lane, which actually means you can do a lot of cool things, right? You can do a lot more different things. And so there's a conundrum right now in the OEM space on how they balance. Because at the end of the day, the OEMs do agree. Principal task is driving a vehicle from point A to point B. And um, it is very, very difficult to teach people because, again, you, we never teach people how to drive a car. I don't know if anyone realizes that, right? We teach people the rules of the road, but we don't mm-hmm. teach them how to drive a car. So we don't teach them about what the car looks like and what it does and, you know, how to handle it and what happens to it and what does this button do or that sound do, et cetera, et cetera. So it's, uh, it is a conundrum. It is a growing conundrum. But uh, the OEMs are seriously concerned with making sure that time on pass stays focused on the drive. Thank right, you very right, much. Absolutely. Yeah. And then Go ahead, if I Joe. may add to this, yes. I think this is a great deal of the drive to autonomous, semi-autonomous uh, vehicles. 94% of accidents are classified as user error, and the studies are very, very precise. And 94% plus minus 2% points. So it could be more than 24% of accidents are, are caused by human errors. Everything from tuning the radio to applying makeup. No, I don't do that, but I see others do that. Um, so so the, this is a drive to improving uh, active safety and to improving or to reducing uh, the dependency on, on, on destruction. Uh, but I think that we're just a long way from getting to this point uh, that we can rely completely on autonomous driving. Joe, I do put lipstick on in the car occasionally, but I know where my mouth is, so I don't need a mirror. So it's just, it's just like, you know, take out the lipstick, don't need to look, know how to twist it, know how to put it on, twist it back, put the cap on, drop it in the purse, it's okay, so my secret is safe. What can I tell you? Well, Larry, you're back with us. I, we, yes, you missed I am. Just a little bit. We're having some crazy phone line issues today, but I'm so glad you dialed back. You're such a trooper, as is uh, Joe with his dial back before. Larry, any thoughts? We've been, we're still talking about. By the way, Larry, did you hear that the first uh, car radio was introduced in the Chevrolet in 1922? I think I might have mentioned that while yep. you were gone, or, or maybe not. Any comments uh, continuing on the safety before we move on to something else? I'm going to be looking somewhere else. I think I'll be, you know what, Larry, finish up comments on safety since you you and Joe introduced that, and then I'm going to open the floor to the entire panel and see what's on okay. your minds. So, right. so just a thought on safety. You know, John makes a very good point, and he's very accurate. You know, as we move closer and closer to autonomous vehicles, true self-driving vehicles, the idea is, you know, certainly safety. How can the, the vehicle protect us from ourselves? How can it do it better? How can it realize and recognize and so on and so forth and react to driving stimuli? That's all very important. But, you know, there, there's another side to that. There's a moral side to that. Can a non-animate device, a vehicle, really react responsibly to various situations. You know, do I swerve left and hit the guardrail and miss the cat? 
or do I swerve lift left, hit the guardrail, and miss the baby stroller in the crosswalk? Mm. So, you know, while it's one thing to say that autonomous vehicles will make us safer, and they will, there is also the other side that says, wait a minute, can they make decisions with the same degree of um, insight that the human mind can? So, you know, that's, that's another one that we've got to deal with further down the road. Legislators will try to deal with it, and if they don't, litigators will. Ah, very profound, very good point. I'm going to open up the floor now. Joe, John, Larry, whoever speaks first gets the floor. We have, let's see now, we've got, got to go into our predictions round in about two minutes, but uh, before we go to predictions, anybody have one more thought on this that we haven't covered in this conversation? Joe, Larry, John, who wants it? Two minutes. <laughs> Well, John, I, mean, I hear you I'll laughing take, yeah, the loudest. No, I'll, take, I'll, I'll take it. I'll take it. <laughs> take I, it. I, I guess. I mean, it's it is it is interesting. And just in the last, I don't know, let me the last couple months, I've been doing a lot of things with and with and related to sort of the V two V to V V to I space, which is you know gearing for safety. Um, and a stat that just is so profound and just so troubling is the following: in by the end of 2013, there was 32,717 human lives lost due to vehicular accidents within the U.S. alone. Uh, and that's equivalent to just shy of two fully loaded 747s falling out of the sky each and every week for a year. Can you say now, that? Wait a minute. Can you say that again? I, I want to get yeah. those numbers. I want people to 30, hear them. 32,717 yeah. deaths due to vehicular accidents, which is equivalent to roughly just shy of two fully loaded 747 passenger jets falling out of the sky each and every week for the year. Wow, and you're sitting at an airport airline, air, airport terminal there. I know, But what's interesting is, well, what's interesting, well, here's what's very interesting about us. We talk about all this, right, is, is if, if one plane fell out of the sky, you know, we get concerned, people start looking at it, if a second plane fell out, and by gosh darn it, by the third plane in a week falling out of the sky, we'd stop and we'd fix it. And, but we're not doing that in this space. We're trying to, and, we're, and there's lots of efforts going underway, but we're not applying the same diligence to this as we would apply to, to this other, other arena. And I think part of it is because the deaths are onesies, twosies, not, not 525 or 1,000 a week. So it's, um, it's quite interesting to me to see this and see how this plays out because um, it's scary, you know? On the eve of your 16th birthday, when the clock goes from 12 o'clock to 12.01, we grant you a license and the right to drive any vehicle, any, any mm-hmm. passenger vehicle, weighing three to 4,000 pounds at speeds, well, you can drive up to 100 miles an hour in some parts of the U.S. Yep. That's frightening. And so I, you know, with Larry, I, 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 you know, the, the, the answer may, in fact, be autonomy, but I'm, I'm not sure how we're going to get there. It's, it's, it's going to be a chaotic journey. It's going to be an interesting time. As the Chinese say, may you live in interesting times. I think that is a very apt quote for where we're at right now in the automotive industry. Thank you very much, John. We're ready to move it back, move the dial back to Joe Barkai. Joe, I'm going to give you exactly 60 seconds for predictions. You know I love the year 2020. It just rolls off the tongue. But any time in the future, tell me what you see in the crystal ball and what will change about our mobile digital identity, OEMs, automobile makers, the connected car. Take it anywhere you want and we're going to go. Joe Barkai, 60 seconds, predictions, go. Right, so I think that we'll, we're experiencing a journey, not, not um, and, and a goal, not a, a destination. 
I will see a slow progression, I think, towards the right solution, but it's going to be slow uh, and not necessarily deliberate and inconsistent. It's going to be very painful. There are three elements, I think, that will shape and drive and potentially accelerate um, the journey. One of them that we have not discussed at all uh, this time is the role of infrastructure. We are very quick to talk about connected cars and so on, but without the right infrastructure, and we don't need to go into the technology of it, without the right infrastructure, uh, we're not going to see the impact that we need. And we tend to think about urban areas, but uh, the country is not necessarily entirely urban, and and infrastructure to support vehicle-to-vehicle communication, smart traffic, uh, and to get the benefits of, of connected cars is far out. Related to this, and we discussed this in a previous um, conversation, is the, the need for critical mass. We need to have enough cars connected to each other to see the benefits. And the last element, Larry mentioned it, it's a big, big topic, maybe for a future discussion, is can cars, the way I, I like to phrase it and ask the question, can cars make ethical decisions? It's not so much uh, about uh, swerving left or right, but cars are trained, as it were, not to break the, the traffic rules, just like we train the 16-year-old drivers. You should not, you know, cross a double line. But we do this when we need to make uh, critical decisions. We are not at the stage where we, that cars can make those uh, decisions, break the rules in order to save life uh, or to, to think ahead and, and uh, prevent a uh, crash from happening. Thank you very much. And let's turn to John Ellis. Prediction, 60 seconds, go. Um, connectivity is a profound um, transformation in the, into the auto industry. And the auto industry, I think, is slow to acknowledge and understand that transformation. Certainly we're talking about connections, but those are on the periphery. True connectivity is, is fundamental to this business model shift of uh, ship and forget, which is where we are today. We build cars, we ship them, and we forget about them to ship and remember. And when you are in a ship and remember world, you are in a world that is today mastered by software companies. If you ask Jensen Wong from NVIDIA, he builds great chips. He says, I'm a software company, I build great chips. If you ask Elon Musk or J.B. Stroud for Tesla, they say we're a software company and we build great cars. So I think the connectivity piece that we're talking about is the precursor to this ship and remember, and we are gonna see some phenomenal and foundational business model changes and there may not be all uh, the same same players that there are today uh, in the ecosystem tomorrow. Whenever the uh, as the dust starts settling on this uh, on this battle. Thank you very much, John Ellis. Eloquent as always, Larry Stoli. Let's wrap this up. Sixty seconds predictions. You're up. So for me, I I fully believe that cars will evolve to be enablers. They will evolve to be the carcass, as John talks about. I believe that. Uh, uh, the, the identities and so on will be carried by Google, by Apple, by others. And, you know, I think that will be resolved by 2020. I think one of the things that has to be worked on and I think will happen to make the infrastructure click, and remember infrastructure has to work for all mics, all models, all relevant years, we have to have standards. We have to agree on standards. We have Internet standards. We have telephone standards. We have all those standards today but we don't have universal and, and, and agreed-upon standards for all of automotive. So I think that's one thing that we will have to begin dealing with very, very quickly. I mean, people or companies are already dealing with it, but I think that has to be resolved before Joe's infrastructure statement uh, really delivers the value that I think uh, 
uh, it has to have. The second thing I think that uh, we have fast, to consider fast, fast, we're out of time. is quick, quick, how do we create the, autom- the, the uh, artificial intelligence to deal with the moral and ethical issues of driving. That's critical. Mm, thank you very much. And this brings to mind an old song from, oh, my goodness, in the 1950s called Seven Little Girls Sitting in the Back Seat. And Fred <laughs> said, why don't one of you come up and sit beside me? And this is what the seven girls said all together now. Keep your mind on your driving. Keep your hands on the wheel. Keep your snoopy eyes on the road ahead. We're having fun sitting in the back seat, kissing and hugging with Fred. And there you go. That was probably the first rock and roll song to address driver safety. I applaud it. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. We've had a really interesting time speaking with Joe Barkai, John L. And Larry Stoley talking about the connected cars. Take three. Is there a take four in our future? I predict there just might be if they'll agree to accept my invitation to come back later in the year here on Coffee Break with Game Changers. So we're going to sign out for now and I'll be back live with another show tomorrow. I think we've got, what have we got? Meet the Visionary Game Changers tomorrow, 10 a.m. Eastern. It's a busy week on Game Changers Radio. Thanks to Brad at World Talk Radio for getting us and trying to keep us on the air and Stephanie Thomas for tweeting. I'm Bonnie D. Graham, and here's my call to action. How appropriate. Fasten your seatbelt. Uh-huh. What are you waiting for? Go out and be a game changer today. Bye-bye. Thanks again for tuning in to Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. To keep the Coffee Break conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter, hashtag pound sign S-A-P-R-A-D-I-O. Please join your host, Bonnie D. Graham, again next Wednesday morning at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Have a great week.